continue this series of loving more like Jesus. And uh, last week we listened to Pastor Jeff talk about what it means to pray through pain. We looked at a character by the name of Hannah, and her cry was to have a child. And uh, how many know that when she went into the house of the Lord and she began to weep before the Lord, um, some of the folks there didn't quite understand what she was going through and thought she was drunk, thought she was out of her mind. But what was she doing? She was pouring out her heart to God because the house of God is meant to be a place of prayer. Jesus said it. My house will be a house of prayer. So I'm going to continue what Ingrid started. I'm going to ask you to stand for just a second. And whatever you have need of in your heart and life today, I want you to think of the ministry of Jesus. He went about doing what? Good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. In other words, we have warfare going on in our hearts and lives every single day, and yet we're going to press into the promises of God. So I want you to put your hand over your heart. And Father, we take you at your word that your house is a house of prayer, and that you're a God who hears our prayers and answers our prayers. And because of that this morning, Lord, some of us have emotional needs, spiritual needs, physical needs, financial needs, marital needs, all kinds of situations and circumstances. And Lord, you're never too busy for us. When we lift our voices to you, you're never too busy. Father, you are specific in each of our hearts and lives. And so today, Lord, we exercise faith. We step out in faith believing that not only do you hear our prayer, but you're answering our prayer even now. Father, let your signs, your wonders, your miracles, your power. Lord, it's not just in the words of wisdom within the house, but it's in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit that our faith rests and so, Holy Spirit, do your work now as we reach out in faith, believing that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you are always going about doing good. Jesus, do good in every life right now. In your name we pray. And the whole church said, amen. You may be seated. This is an incredible weekend when you think of the basis of our faith that comes out of Judaism, because this is the weekend for the story of Esther and the celebration of the Feast of Purim. And we know that when we think about that, that's a story about the hiddenness of God. You don't read one word about God in the book of Esther, but he is everywhere on every page in the book of Esther. He is behind the scenes working. And we live in a culture right now that will mock the church and say, where is your God? If God is so good, how come we don't see him? He is constantly hidden. And those who know him see him. And those who don't know him never want to see him. So it's a challenge in this book as you go through the book of Esther for the Feast of Purim 
because not only is God hidden, but Esther's hidden. We know that something happened in the palaces of the king, Hazareth and Vashti, that he put on a party and tried to expose his wife. And in doing that, she said no. How many know every so often we have to say no? We have to know who we are going to serve, and there are lines in our lives, and Vashti draws a line and says no to her husband, no to the king, and he's embarrassed in the midst of all of his officials, and so he has a beauty contest. Go out and find me the most beautiful person in the kingdom, and I'll make her the next queen. And wouldn't you know it that Esther's hidden away, and Mordecai works in the palace, and he brings Esther to the forefront, and she goes into training for a whole year before she's presented to the king. She's hidden until such a time as this. And so often the church seems to be hidden, but for such a time as this. We're in a very significant and strategic moment in human history, and in particular global history. COVID has made an impact everywhere around the world, and all we hear is nattering. All we hear is complaining. All we hear is criticism of every official that tries to do something. Have you noticed that in every church, there are people who love masks and people who hate masks, people who love vaccines and people who hate vaccines? In other words, we're divided in some issues that for the most part are temporal issues, but we're united in an issue called the Church of Jesus Christ moving forward. And so we honor the King and we honor the Lord. And it's a tension that we live in all the time. So how many know we need to learn to hear the voice of God? We need to understand the Word of God, the principles of God. And so in Mordecai's life, he knows them, and he brings Esther forward. And what happens to Esther? She goes from being hidden to being revealed. And as she's revealed, it becomes a story of rescue. Mordecai hears a plot by the name of Haman, and Haman's about to do something to terrorize the Jews and to destroy them, and Esther's a Jew, and Mordecai's a Jew, and God speaks to her heart through him, and he says to her, have you not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And if you don't step up, someone else will. I love how God works. He has purposes and plans for every life, and I want you to see it in your mind's eye. I want you to see a big, big puzzle made up of thousands of pieces, and you're one piece that no one else can fit in. You're that unique, and you're that purposeful in the plans of God, and Esther is at that moment in time willing to cross the line and say, I'm going to stand with my people. I'm going to stand with the Lord. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And she declares herself a Jew to the king. And the next thing you know, she exposes the hiddenness of the evil in Haman's heart, and he built a gallows for the Jews and for Haman, uh, for Mordecai, and now he's going to hang on his own gallows. You know what that story is? It's a story of eschatology. It's a story of the end times. 
All the evil that's been planned is going to backfire. And God's going to honor his people. He's going to raise them up, and he's going to redeem them as a people. And he's going to profile them throughout all of history. There's a bride being prepared. And so in all of this, we have to understand there are times of hiddenness, but God's always at work. There are people in places of hiddenness, but God's always at work in their hearts and lives. And there are moments that he calls you and I to step forward, step into what it is that he wants us to do. And so as we love more like Jesus and we learn to pray through pain, to step out in faith and believe that we get into traditions like what Purim is all about. They dress up in masquerades and all kinds of different things to mimic what took place at the feast. And then every time the name Haman is mentioned, they have these little spinners, and it's like they go, boo! In other words, they're declaring themselves on God's side. And today we're going to look at a young man by the name of Samuel that Hannah prayed for and promised God that she would return him to the Lord if she had a child, and she had a child. And Samuel comes on the scene, and we know that he has got a purpose and a plan in God, but there's going to be some obstacles along the way that he's going to have to go through. Everybody knows that life is noisy. Life, life is full of uh, voices, ideas. I want you to think of everyone in your life that you have to interact with, they have opinions. You ever notice that? And everything that we go through in day-to-day life, it's full of stuff, constantly asking for our attention. And Hannah was able to press through those things and say, I want to hear God for my situation because my heart is crying out for a child. How many know when you get desperate, you pray faith-filled prayers? You want things to change. And she wanted things to change, and she started to press through because there would have been a lot of people would say, oh, just relax, Hannah. You're not going to have a baby. Don't worry about it, you know. But she said, no, this is what is in my heart, and I'm going to press for it. And lo and behold, Samuel comes along, and she gives him back to the Lord in the Lord's house, and now it's his turn. He's a young boy, and he's growing up, and he's with Eli, and he's beginning to learn some of the things. I love that we used to do it in our family. He was given an ephod every different year. In other words, a garment that he would wear. And as he got bigger, the garments would get bigger because mama would bring them to him every year. And so for our grandsons, what we would do every Easter, we'd buy them a black suit. Very Pentecostal. Little white shirt and a red tie. We'd buy them a little suit every year, and we'd tell them, you're growing in to the purposes and the plans that God has for your life. And what does Samuel learn? He learns something that is so powerful. There's no junior Holy Spirit. There's only the Spirit of God. 
No junior Holy Spirit. He can do in a young person's life what he wants to do in an older person's life. And so God's Word is there for all ages. So I want you to look up on the screen, and we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 8 and 9 together out loud. Everybody ready? Let's look up here and have, let's do it. The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord. Stop right there. Go back. What was he doing? Ministering to the Lord. What did we do just a few minutes ago in worship? We ministered to the Lord. And as you minister to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, no frequent vision. So think about the time. Samuel's doing this in faith believing. Next slide. Okay. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time now. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. What's happening in the story? Every time the Lord speaks to Samuel, he doesn't understand. And so he goes to Eli, and Eli says, I didn't call you. Goes back and does it again. By the third time, Eli realizes, I may be dull of hearing right now, but you're certainly hearing, and it's not me, and it's God starting to speak to your heart, son. So just say, Lord, here I am. Speak to me. Say it in your heart right now, Lord. Speak to my heart. Now, can you trust him to speak to you? Because he desires to speak to his people. My sheep know my voice. They hear me and they follow me. So who in your life reminds you to keep seeking the Lord? Eli's reminding Samuel, seek the Lord. Posture your heart, Samuel, to hear him. And Samuel, even though he's working with Eli, Eli's dull of hearing right now. But Eli knows the principles well enough to instruct this young man because he sees that youthful zeal, that fire that's in Samuel's eyes, that heart that's hungry to learn. And everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs someone that will walk alongside of them and help them in seeking the Lord and moving forward. In chapter 3, verses 11 through 15, we're going to continue to read it. And the Lord says to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. From beginning to end, and I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever. If you study the life of Eli, he is a disobedient priest. He's an absentee father. He is not training his sons. In fact, his sons are doing abominations in the house of the Lord. And Eli's letting them do it. And what God says, I'm going to deal with that. For the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. How many know that's quite a judgment? 
So little Sammy says, well, Lord, I want to hear from heaven. I want to hear from you. And that's what God downloads in his heart. How many know it's always easy to give a nice message? But when you have to give a hard message, that's a test for you. Are you representing yourself or are you representing the king? And so in this instance, Samuel gets this word. Eli says to him, don't you lie to me, son. You tell me exactly everything that God is speaking to your heart. Why? Because Eli can't hear anymore. So he really wants to know what God is saying because he knows that Samuel's hearing. It's always nice to go to someone that's hearing from God. And so as Samuel begins to open his mouth and share what's in the heart that God has put there, there's a test on Samuel to genuinely be the prophet that God is training him up to be and to tell the truth and not to be frightened by Eli not to be intimidated in the presence of Eli, but to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And Samuel does it. And when you look at the Scripture, you realize that, okay, Eli might be a mess, but at least at this moment in his journey, he's open to truth. He listens to what the Lord says through young Samuel's life, and his heart responds to his own sin. You know what that's called? Repentance. That when your heart responds to a prompting of God that there's something in your life that he's speaking to you about and he wants you to change, you look at a life like Eli's and you realize it may be a mess all around me and inside of me, but God has spoken to me through this young man, therefore I am going to repent. And he opens his heart and some things start to happen. It's a moment of truth for Samuel, but it's a moment of truth as well for Eli. And it is the initial stages of Samuel becoming a prophet that will be known throughout all of Israel. It's a powerful moment. But you never despise little beginnings. The first little beginning was Samuel, Samuel. That's all. And now by the third time and the permission of Eli to really say what God has said, God downloads something for Eli's life through Samuel. And in that, God's will gets accomplished. Let's look at 1 Samuel 3 and verse 19. Here's what it says in verse 19. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. You know, as pastors, sometimes we joke around and we say, oh, we'd love to have a church like in the early days During Pentecost, Peter got up and he preached one sermon and 3,000 people got saved. And everybody goes, hallelujah. And today, pastors get up and preach 3,000 sermons and one person gets saved. I think something happened. In the process, something happened. But here's God giving little Samuel a promise 
that none of the words that you speak are going to fall to the ground. How many know that's fruitfulness? That's him passing some tests along the way, and he is going to grow greater in his anointing, in his calling, and in his prophetic utterance because God is at work in him. Not like prophecy today in many situations where people prophesy and nothing ever comes to, ha to happen. And they'll never apologize either because they think they're right and God's wrong. So just some crazy things going on in our day. So when you look at little Samuel's life, you begin to see, wow, here is a young man dedicated himself to you, Lord, walked in the love of the Father, walked in the love of God, and did what God was calling him to do and accomplished and was fruitful in everything he did. Would to God we would want to be like that, to have that kind of fruitfulness going on in our hearts and lives. Well, in the life of Jesus, it was similar. He would go up to Jerusalem for the feast. He was a young man that grew in wisdom and stature and knowledge and in the fear of the Lord. He grew up in Joseph's house. And Joseph is a carpenter slash stonemason. That's a tough job. And so Jesus would have learned to work hard in the natural and work hard in the spirit that there was nothing lazy about him. He put in everything that he needed to do, 30 years of private training for three years of public ministry. He's doing the same thing in his generation that Samuel did in his generation by being trained up. And we remember the story when Jesus and his family go down to Jerusalem to one of the major feasts, and on the way home, he's missing. How many know parents pray when their kids are missing? And they began to search for him, couldn't find him, and they end up at the temple, and there he is. There's Jesus sitting in the temple. He knows the voice of God, and he's debating with the leaders in the house of God, and they are astounded at his wisdom. Can I say to you that when you renew your mind with God's word and your heart and life are filled with God's word, you will have wisdom that the world will hunger for. There's just something about the things that are said from God's word that resonate within the hearts of people that are crying out for him. Now, it's different when people don't want anything to do with God. Because you know the story that Jesus is like. Those who were hungry for righteousness and for truth and followed him, his words were life to them. And then there were those that didn't want to hear it. It's not life to them. Is his word life to you? Because if it is, then that word is going to come into your heart and it's going to bring wisdom, it's going to bring understanding, it's going to bring knowledge, it's going to enable you to make the decisions you need to make in your life that you can say, now I know I'm hearing from God. Why? Because your mind is filled with the word of God and that's what you hear first. God always honors his word. And so often when people say to me, how do you hear the voice of God? I can't, I don't hear. Fill your mind and your heart with the word of God and you'll hear the voice of God. 
Fill it with the culture, and you'll hear the voice of the culture. Fill it with the opinions of your friends, and those are the voices you're going to hear. So you want to fill your mind with God's word so that you then start to hear him. And young Samuel is going through that. And later on in the life of Jesus, we see him doing the same thing. The things that I see my father do, those are the things I do. The things that I hear my father say, those are the things that I say. That's a connected life. And that's the kind of life that you and I want to have. Let's look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. Very clear. Jesus what? Increased in wisdom and in a stature and in favor with God and with man. That's the incredible reality that it takes time to grow up spiritually in the same way that it takes time to grow up physically. So as you are growing and learning, Every day you and I sit down at a table and we have something to eat. Why? Because it strengthens our body, gives us energy to do what we need to do. And every day when we get into God's Word, it builds our spiritual life. We increase every day in strength and in spiritual energy when the Word of God is central to who we are. It's a lesson for all of us today. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 and 37, rising early in the morning, what did Jesus do? While it was still dark. That's why I always meet with him at 1 o'clock at night. That's early in the morning, and it's still dark. And he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Let me ask you something. If Jesus valued prayer, shouldn't we value prayer? If he needed to pray, don't we need to pray? He's our example. He's the one we follow. And I'm thinking he is the God-man. He is God manifest in flesh. And yet here he is in relationship with his father, going to a quiet place of prayer and opening his heart because Philippians said he emptied himself, meaning that he set aside his divinity to walk in humanity filled with the Spirit and dependent on the leadership of his Father in his life. And so he prays, and Simon and those who were with him began to search for him. What's it say? They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Just stop there and look around and say, that's wonderful that everyone is looking for me. But he's looking for me right now. And I'm going to take a moment to be in his presence and allow him to speak into my heart and prepare me for this day as I go out and serve his purposes and his plans. It's not about everyone else looking for you. It's about the Father seeking you and about your response to him and being willing to say, oh, Lord, the place of prayer is not a difficult place because it's a place of your presence. It's a place of your words to my heart and to my life. 
It's a place of intimacy. It's a place where I am strengthened, where I am renewed, where I am refreshed. It's the place of the download of the Word of God to give me the wisdom I need to do the things that you're calling me to do every day for the circumstances that I'm going to face. Oh, that place of prayer. Thank you for it, Lord. And so from that, then Jesus gets up and he goes with the disciples and he goes out into a very busy day. Lots of things going on, sunset to sundown. Everything he's doing over and over and over again. So Jesus is moving out of the love of the Father in his life and out of the Father's love for people. Your motivation in prayer, your motivation to hear the voice of God, your motivation to do anything has to be rooted in the love of God. If it's not rooted in the love of God, it's rooted in your selfishness. It's in what you want to do. And that's where you back up every so often and you say to yourself, Lord, my flesh is so strong that it's getting in the way all the time I want to do what Jesus did in the garden. I want to say, not my will, but yours be done. Father, how do I crucify this thing? And I mean, no, until the moment of your last breath, you're going to battle between flesh and spirit. It's just the way it is. But there's something that goes on here where Jesus has come to demonstrate the love of God for humanity. You've seen me do this before, and I'll do it one more time for your benefit. Genesis chapter 2, when you hold your Bible up, see the little skinny part? That's the only part of the Bible where things were good. See the bottom part? That's us. That's the sinful darkness, the mess of the world. And yet, where do we find Jesus? Where do we find his church? Where do we find his people? Right in the midst of the mess called life. Demonstrating the love of the Father. Demonstrating the love of God to broken humanity. Demonstrating grace, mercy, kindness. Why? Because that's what each of us have received. And when you've received that in your life, how can you possibly not give that away to someone else who's in the position that you were in just years earlier. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for grace. But thank God for his love that never fails. That love works through Jesus in everyday life. And as he goes out, you see him touching the sick, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, causing the cripples to walk. And then raising the dead. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. When you hear Jesus, you hear the Father. When you see the demonstration of the love of Jesus towards broken humanity, you see the character of God the Father. And so that's why it's important for us as we love like Jesus that it's not some kind of mushy-gushy kind of love. It's a very deliberate love to undeserving people. In the same way, while we were yet sinners, he loved us. And that should rock you on your heels every so often and just say, oh, Father, thank you. 
for loving me just the way I am, but loving me enough not to leave me the way I am. And then he works. So when your mind is filled with God's word, you hear him best. And you want to be like Eli? I don't hear God. Well, all I want is for God to be on my side. Not going to happen. Want to be like Samuel? I have difficulty hearing God because of all the noise going on inside my heart. You want to be like Jesus? I'm going to be careful not to listen to the wrong voices because those voices will end up destroying my life. And so you can be an Eli, you can be a Samuel, or you can be like Jesus. Do the things that Jesus did. And so God always uses his word to guide our lives. Even when he speaks through dreams and visions and prophecy, it always aligns to his word. It's not something that's just rooted in our feelings. It's rooted in the truth of his word, the life experiences that you find all through Scripture. And then we discern, as we're listening, we discern the context that we're in. For example, if you're in the persecuted church in China, it's going to be very different than being in the free church in the Western world. We're going to have a different context, but God's the same. And he will give wisdom on how to direct our steps, whether it's issues of your family you're believing God for, your marriage, the folks at the office, at your school, your friends, the groups that you're involved in. All of those contexts are going to require that we hear from God, that we understand his word, that we're led by his spirit. And in the world that you and I are part of right now, our contexts are changing almost every day. There's issues challenging all of us to simply forget God and live out our own selfish goals. Issues today of rejecting biblical values about morality, traditional marriage, gender, the family unit, yes, even Christianity itself. All of these things are going on around us, and we need to be able to hear from God, understand his word, and walk as straight as an arrow. This is the way, walk in it, he tells us. And God always is at work building us up, while for sure the enemy is always tearing us down. So you can always tell a good word from God, like Eli heard a moment ago, it was, yep, this, this is good. I should have raised my kids better. I should have put some boundaries on them. I should have called them to task when they were blaspheming God and doing those things in the house of God. I should have done that. And how many know we all have a lot of those moments in our life that we wish we could change? But the bottom line is we can still pray, and God can still change people. Amen? You know our story, Joyce and I. And when I was living in Cornwall and she was living in Ottawa and we were separated and I went to prayer one day and I said, Lord, change her. And guess what the Lord said? No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. I'm going to change you. And I thought, that's not fair. She has to change. That's not fair. And so you wimp. And then you finally get through it and you realize, okay, if I can't talk to Joyce, you can. Lord, you can talk to her. So that became my prayer. 
Father, speak to her heart because I can't speak to her mind. I can't speak to her life right now. We're separated. There's a wall between us. In all of our situations, no matter what we go, the context allows us to walk with the Spirit of God to give us the wisdom that we need to have to be able to pray the kind of prayers that we need to pray. We don't just pray rote. We pray out of the depth of our cry of our soul for things to change. And so for you and I right now, we're realizing there's no condemnation in Jesus. We are forgiven in him. We walk in him. And here are the last couple of things. Here's what you want to do when you're trying to say, Lord, I want to learn how to hear your voice. First thing you're going to do is posture yourself. Submit to the Holy Spirit. Bind the voice of the enemy. Humbly be committed to growing, which will mean mistakes, misses, confession and repentance, and ditch this whole effort of trying to be perfect. What is a posture? Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. That's a posture. It's just taking a moment, settling down, saying, Lord, speak. The second one is priority. Place your hearing, obeying, and following God's word as the greatest voice for your life. Remember to distinguish the difference between them. God will lead us, but Satan will drive us. God will convict us. Satan will condemn us. God will inspire faith, and Satan will fuel fear. So these are just simple things that you do. And then the next P is people. Commit yourself to growing in Christ's likeness by attending, engaging, and serving in and through the local church, which embraces the orthodox beliefs about following Jesus. I don't have to talk time to talk about progressive Christianity, but there are fundamental truths that we believe as Christians that are biblically based, are rooted in the life of the church, and bring great comfort and great strength to our lives. So when we're working with people, we have to understand, I am being conformed to the image of Jesus. And because of that, I want to be doing the things that Jesus is doing. How many know he's building his church? He's working in his people. He's calling us to prayer. He's calling us to listen. Those are all the orthodox things that we do that bring health and strength to our life. And last but not least, plan. When are you going to spend time in prayer? When are you going to spend time reading God's Word? Going to do it over everyone and everything. I pray in the shower. I pray when I'm shaving, the odd time that I shave. I pray when I'm driving my car. I pray when I'm walking. I pray when I'm watching TV. In other words, there's prayer life going on all the time. It's a 24-7. I took God's word seriously, pray without ceasing. In other words, I've postured myself in such a way that my heart just reaches out all the time. And God has downloads coming all the time. There's this interaction going on between my heart and his heart. Why? Because that's the plan. 
That's what he has purposed for your life and my life. And so you start with a posture and you end up with a plan. He conforms your life to his image and his likeness. And all of a sudden, the sky is bluer. The grass, whenever we see it, will be greener. And our hearts and our lives will be rooted in him. And the storms may come, but we'll be in the eye of the hurricane. And the storm will be around us, but not in us. We'll have confidence in him. Having done everything, stand. So let's all stand together for just a moment as we pray. Did you get anything out of the word this morning? Is it going to get anything out of you? That's always the response to that one. God's word is meant to do something in us. So I want you to think of the little boy Samuel. He receives a word. Now what's he going to do with the word? He's going to bring it to Eli just the way it was given to him. What are you going to do with God's word today? You're going to put it into practice in your life the way God intended because then you are hearing the voice of God. Then you are loving like Jesus every single day. So put your hand over your heart. Father, we are so grateful that you are at work behind the scenes of everything that goes on in life. Though we may not see you, we know you and that you are an ever-present help in our time of need. Father, when we can't see your face in our circumstances, we believe that you're in charge and ordering our steps. Lord, we're grateful that there's no place in this life that I can hide from you, even though at times you feel hidden from me. You are here now to do in us what needs to be done. And so, Father, help us to recognize your presence in every circumstance this week, to hear your still, small voice orchestrating and leading me behind the scenes of my daily life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen and amen.